My interviews for this podcast are the opposite of the investigative reporting interviews I did for 32 years. And what I mean by that is I was trying to get people to talk about what they did not want to talk about. And this podcast is women talking about what they do want to talk about, what they're clearly passionate about. But I have a rule, and it only bites me occasionally. And that rule is, if at the end of the interview, a woman has something that she does not want made public, that unlike gotcha journalism, I say, that's fine. You don't have to do it. And this week, there was a woman who took me out to lunch and said, I really said some things that would hurt some people, so uh, I want to minimize harm. That's one of our ethics. Remember when journalism had ethics? That's an ethical statement. It's an ethical principle to minimize harm. So I said, fine, we'll either do another interview or we won't do an interview. You won't ever just think about it. And so what that means and the reason I say it bit me is that I went into the back catalog to the way back four years ago, and uh, and I, 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 this conversation holds up. This woman is almost 90 now. It's hard to believe that. And she was a broadcast pioneer. I think you're really going to enjoy hearing the voice and the history that is Sis Kaplan. I remember going to one meeting and they said, well, when is somebody going to come that can make a decision? <laughs> this is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Sis Kaplan brought rock and roll to Charlotte in the mid-60s in the form of a radio station called Big Ways. That's the headline, but it doesn't begin to describe the Kaplan's contribution to our town and to the medium that brought us Edward R. Murrow, Wolfman Jack, Terry Gross, and Howard Stern. So you might expect two old broadcast pros would be talking about the power of the human voice, and we are. But more than that, we're talking about what it means to be Jewish, what it means to be American, and how pivotal this time in our history really is. Here's Sis. How old are you? 85. I never would guess that. You walk so smoothly. You are in good shape. Yeah, well, I do work out. And what, what do you do? I do some weights, and I do the tread, and I do Pilates. Where were you born? Chicago. You were number what of how many? The third of three. And your mother, her ethnicity, her people came from where? Germany. Yeah. Were they Jewish? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And well, your father's people were? Polish. Were they Jewish? Yes. And your father did what for a living? My father was in the broadcast business. He was. I did not know that. What did he do in the broadcast business? He actually started three of the stations in Chicago. Oh, my word. And Where did he get the, the money to do that? 
didn't take any money then. BBM started down in Lincoln, Illinois, which is where he lived. He started WBBM Radio. And WJJD and WIND. And your father, what kind of guy was he? He was a good father. Um, You got along with him well? Yeah, yeah. And I think that he never differentiated in terms of what what you could do. I mean, I was expected to do something just as the boys were expected to do something. You mean in terms of chores or in terms of college? Chores, college, work. Yeah. So the whole nine yards. Didn't yeah. cut you any slack on the math and sciences. No, not that so much. I mean, he actually never was went to college, but that I'm thinking more from a career point of view that it was expected that you'd do something. What did he see in radio? He he felt it was going to be the median of the of his time and it was that's unbelievable and, yeah and the the tower i think bbm's first tower in chicago was on my grandmother's his mother's um roof <laughs> how tall was that i don't did you did your grandmother approve of putting this tower? I think so, yeah. Well, his name was Leslie, and my daughter is named after him. Oh. Her name is Leslie. That's lovely. Yeah. You've preserved it. Right. Did he go by Leslie or Les? Les. Now, when you look at radio, I mean, the Third Coast Audio Festival is in Chicago, and uh, WBEZ, and you have such a great tradition of storytelling in Chicago audio storytelling. Right. It's really amazing. Yeah. If I had done any reading about you, I'd be a lot more intimidated, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I mean, there's this multiple generation. Broadcast old broad, right? (laughs) There you go. There you go. Because Nancy told me if I talk to you, I should be ready to hear the F-bomb. And I'm like, I haven't heard it yet. No, so, I'm, I'm behaving. Yeah, exactly. What we need to do is like pour some drinks here at, yeah. <laughs> a little at early. 9 o'clock in the morning. A little early, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask, did you ever see Edward Murrow? Edward O. Murrow? Yes, he'd been to our home. Oh, my God. Like, what'd he do to bond with the kids? Like, he'd get down there with them or he... Yeah, I mean, I'm, he. I remember played... We were playing baseball, uh, softball, obviously, and he joined the the group. He was, yeah, I knew him very well. He and, wasn't a stuffed shirt. He no, no. He would get right out there and play ball with you. Yeah. And so were you aware in the time that these are epic, legendary figures in the time depends what time you want to put that in. I mean, like when you were contemporaneously. No, I'm saying when, when I grew, as I, you know, when I was a little kid, I wasn't. No. So this was post World War II. Correct. So Murrow had already done his London shtick. Right. He'd already become. I don't call that a shtick. Right. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> well, no, but I mean, he was already a That's, right. major, major factor. As yeah. a broadcaster, I'll tell you, there's right. just this, you know, bow and, you yeah. know, he was... Oh, absolutely. I totally could not agree with you more. Yeah. And he was not a perfect man, but by the same token, he, he that, set how many, the standard. How many were? That's true. Um, but it was also the industry was different then, and the ability or the willingness, not the ability, the willingness to do the kinds of things he did I mean, there are no broadcasters left in the broadcast industry. What do you mean by that? Well, they're all, all of the broadcast companies, radio and or television, and I worked in both, um, are all corporate America. They're not owned by broadcasting. People who started out and were broadcasters there, in other words, it's just it's it's, it's like a any other of something. It's it's a, like any other big company. Yeah, it has not. It does not have the people in it that have the same view and of their responsibility as a broadcaster and to them, their community and their country that existed back when. What what did your what was your dad's view? What what was his view of the of what of the responsibility of a broadcaster? What well, I mean that you serve the community and you serve the country, and you do you do things that are important to do and deal with and gutsy kinds of things. Like well, like the kinds of things locally and nationally that Murrow did and that you deal in the news and you deal in a different structure than mostly exists today. Um, well, I think you can distribute the same kind of gravitas. However, I just think that there's something about the ethic that has changed. And I'm wondering for your father, um, because you know, fundamentally, we're talking about what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to, what does democracy mean? What is, you know, it well, mean to when, be? Well, when you look at this country today, that's a good question. It is a damn good question. <laughs> and it's a scary, I mean, the we are in a time scarier than, I mean, I can remember how scary things seemed to my parents during World War II. You'd get up, when we'd have breakfast together in the morning, you didn't talk when the CBS World News was on. because And of course, I had a brother who was in the war. Where was he? He was in the OSS, which was the predecessor to the CIA. Yeah, and, and he do you was know now Europe. where he, he was in Europe? Yeah, but never talked about it, ever. Because at the time, it was not the liberty of one country which was at peril. It was the liberty of the world. Well, I think it is today as well. Explain. Well, I think that when you see what's going on in Western Europe and in England, 
and what's going on more so in this country, there are very similar things happening that historically happened in the 30s prior to World War II. Well, I mean, it's become very, very right-wing and very anti-everything. Anti-immigrant. Anti-immigrant, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, anti-everybody who isn't me. That sold very well in the 30s and provided a dictator that, you know, caused World War II. Merle was famous for standing up to <laughs> McCarthy. Correct. Is it that there is no Murrow today, or is it that there the, are a bunch of Murrows? The industry does not allow a Murrow today, corporately, because the entire emphasis in my head at this point of the networks and the our bottom line, and I'm talking about all of them, and I, I realize you've got the Fox on one end, and you've got MSNBC on the other end, but the corporate structure is such that you don't go quite that far. I had a guy uh, sitting with me at breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he's waspy, New England, you know, prep school kind of guy, and he's... <laughs> And he, and he tossed out a little joke. And he said, um, he said, I don't give a fuck who's, where anybody gives their, gets their money. I don't give a fuck who I'm dealing with. He said, if they have the money, Heil Hitler. And I was really taken aback. What, some, what did you say? Did you question it? I did not. Why? That's a good question. That's a good question. That somebody thinks that that's just, in other words, I'll take Satan's money is what he's no, saying. No, I, I, I know, understand. I know. You're, I, I understand. And it's a very good question. Because if you don't stand up, I mean. You have to stand up at the breakfast table is what you're saying with somebody who's a, a buddy, a peer, or you won't be standing up. It's no good to march first, on Washington. Th first they came to get. Right. And then they came to get, and then there was nobody left. Right. So And so these kinds of little <clears throat> Hitler jokes are not a joke. The anti-everything and the bigotry in this country and elsewhere, I mean, I'm, I'm more knowledgeable about what's going on here than I am elsewhere is now socially acceptable. It's not that it's gone, it ever went away because you only have to scratch a tiny bit to always bring it out. Right. Because it historically has always been there. You know, in this country, the anti-black and anti-everything, anti-Semitic and anti-Muslim and anti-anti-anti. It's now socially acceptable Were because you, our leader talks that way. Did, did you, as a, um, a girl 
in Chicago. What neighborhood did y'all live in? I lived in the country. And from the time I was like... What, what was your four, mailing address? Was Wheaton, Illinois. Oh, okay. But lived outside of the city limits in the country. Were you aware of <clears throat> anti-Semitism? No. no. When did you become aware of it? Like, how did it manifest itself? When I went to college. What did it look like? I was never brought up with any Jewish background. Hmm. Always knew I was a Jew. You didn't go to temple? How about the high holidays? We used to go into the city, at, you know, with where my grandparents lived. So you would celebrate? Oh, yeah. I don't mean, I, I'm saying that I never really had the training. I get you. Did you have uh, a botanist No. Did you ever go to one? Oh, yeah, of course. So you went to them, you just didn't get your own. Well, yeah. there weren't many of them. It, it was a total wasp community. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't mean you can't go into town and... Oh, yeah. They did that on occasion. I then moved to Chicago. Right. After college. But uh, when you live in a Chicago, although I did belong to a temple when I lived there, it's it, you can be ethnically involved more so than... When I moved to Charlotte, when my daughter went to school, it said church preference on the... Public school in Charlotte, North Carolina yes. was asking you what your church preference was? On the forms you filled out, yes. This has been a long time ago. So in the 70s, in Charlotte, North Carolina, they were yes. asking you not your religious preference, as though that's not bad enough. <laughs> they were asking your church preference. The, literally, the first question anybody asked you when you met them is, where do you go to church? They still do that, a lot of places. Yeah. You don't join the Rotary Club or the Kiwanis. You join which church do you join? Yeah. And as I said, my daughter, went, I, I felt it was very important that living in a town that was where religion was so important, she needed to know who she was and something about her background in order to stand up for herself and be knowledgeable. And so she went to Sunday school and, and was bat mitzvahed actually in Israel, which wow. was wonderful. Yeah. I wouldn't call myself religious at all. I'd call myself culturally a mm. Jew. I don't know that I know. And I think there's something going on that has to do with general spirituality. In a pinch, or not in a pinch. You say a prayer? No. Mm. Do you? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I can use all the help I can yeah. get. <laughs> no, I don't disagree with that. So you said you came in touch with anti-Semitism in college. What did it look like? My college roommate, she's from New York. And you're at what college? Rollins in Winter Park, Florida. Which oh, because she was Jewish too? Oh, yeah. We were rushed, asked to go to, you know, how you get the invitations to that 
crap and so on. And we were asked to go to a larger number than the dean had told us. We were invited to the in the beginnings. And now wait a minute. What what was your maiden name? Atlas. Did did they know you were Jewish? Did did every they they before they get to the end of the process, they check people out. And then we kept getting invited back to this one that we also liked. And it turned out they almost lost their charter by pledging both of us. Oh, my word. There was already one Jewish girl in the sorority. So they had their quota. Exactly. Had their fill. I felt an obligation to do give back and got involved and became president of the sorority. So I listened to people say, you know, when there was a Jewish person next to be pledged, say, you know, we don't need any more goddamn Jews in this chapter. And I said, well, you're talking to one of them. So I'd suggest we end the discussion. And I just hung up. I mean, that happened several times. And was this was not someone who was local. This was mm. someone with the national. No, it was someone who was a an alumni. Ah. And you have to get references. Now, I don't know how it works now. I think it's just as bad. I think that there's less importance placed on being a member of. This, this, whole, this whole designation of Jewish fascinates me. I, I have to ask you something that's, a, you know, sort of out of bounds, but apropos. Um, when you hear any of the phrases, um, the, the Jewish media or uh, the, the Zionist media or the Jews run the media or whatever, is that a generational thing? That, that, is, that is a kind of um, anti-Semitism that has come up. Or when your father, you know, basically founded media, was that still the kind of slur which occurred in um, World War II and post-World War II America? Sure. I mean... The- so that's been around for a long time. Oh, Yeah. Even in the days of Paley and Murrow. And, you know, there were a lot of Jews in the media. Sure, and in Hollywood, too. And in Hollywood, too. I guess in terms of the anti-Semitism, it's, it's another thing of saying controlling. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. My father-in-law, his people were Russian immigrants, and he said, you would find no greater Americans. Mm-hmm. You would find no one who right. believed in the fundamental principles of this country, the Bill of Rights, right. than did these people. And who, within you know months or years of swearing their allegiance, were literally pledging their lives or the right. lives of their children exactly. toward the ideal of a new land. Yeah. Which is stunning. Right. Here's somebody who just came over to the team. They're just flying the new, you know, red, white, and blue colors. 
And now you're... And they are... You got a gun. And you're going back <clears throat> where? To, where to Europe, to where right. you came from. Making it all the more amazing that, you know, Japanese were not allowed to serve except in the European theater. Right. Well, and the internment and... Well, it's like the cages right now at the border. Yeah. Well, I've been on both sides of that border, and I've, I've met, you know, children. Right. Long before any of this. And uh, it, it will change the way you look, because essentially that is Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. Now. And 10 or 20 years hence, there will be museums in you know, Tucson, Arizona, or Brownsville, Texas, or... El Paso, San Diego. And what will those museums be saying about the contemporary politicians that we have elected? It will, will it be like Montgomery? I think it will. Yep. And it, it is. It should be. I mean, different time, but certainly the horror of right now. Yeah. And totally despicable. Let me ask you about broadcasting here, uh, mm-hmm. because I will be remiss. That's what I thought we would be talking about. I didn't well, thought we'd think we'd be talking about world history. When did you come to Charlotte, North Carolina, and, and why Charlotte, North Carolina? I mean, you're from Chicago. Why Charlotte first was, we had been... We being, were you married already? Yeah. Oops. I was married in 64. How'd you meet Stan? Broadcast convention. Was he a broadcaster too? Uh-huh. Radio guy? Yes. And what, what what did he do? He was in the sales and management end of the world in um, Boston and, at the time I met him. And, and you were? When I left CBS, I went to work in sports. That was fascinating because I was, there weren't women, girls, whatever, weren't in sports then. I mean, I was the first female in a major league press box. They just didn't happen. Now, so you didn't go to the locker room to do the interviews, but you were in the press box. And how how all these cigar-chomping male reporters... Wonder what the hell I was doing there, yeah. Did they give you a hard time, or did they... Yeah, some did. Some did, some didn't. And did you give as good as you got? Sure. So Because you had to be kind of tough. Yeah. Did they give you a hard time? Did they hit on you? Yes. They never, it was never physical, but they. Yes. They either hit on you or give you a hard time or both. Right. But it wasn't kind of, well, it was sexual harassment, but it wasn't. Oh, I, you know, the truth is, if as I look back, I mean, I was too dumb to know that it was. You just, it was the way it was. You didn't know that it would be different for a long time. But you strike me as somebody who your personality is, you're not going to take any shit from anybody. Right. I think that's true. Well, I have to ask you one thing about the marriage. So you meet him at this sales conference or you meet him at this radio, this broadcasting conference, and he's there. What'd you think of this, this, this Stan Kaplan guy? Not a whole lot in the beginning. Oh, I was, didn't? What it was is he was in the syndication business. Right. Then, too. And 
Well, that's strictly business. I'm asking as a man oh. interested in a woman, <laughs> when yeah. a boy meets a girl <laughs> at yeah. that level, what did you think of it? Nothing particular. Oh, really? Yeah. And was he very smitten with you? Evidently, because I, you know, it was, I kept getting calls. Oh, what kind of calls? He was, you know, to, to go out oh, to okay. see him. And you said... Well, yeah, I don't hardly know you, so whatever. <laughs> and, and you live in a whole different city, and right. But and, and yet he kept he he was right. persistent. Uh -huh. So it was a gradual kind of a thing. Right. It wasn't. Oh my God! I've met my husband. <laughs> right. The man of my dreams. Correct. Um, was he in any way like your father? Probably from us, he because he was as. From a salesman point of view, yes. Now, in those days, did you live together? No, because I was in one city and he was in another. But I, I like Boston. That's when we decided, or we talked about radio, buying a radio station, which didn't happen for a while. And now, did so I, I, we were actually, when Charlotte came on the scene... We Which were in New York. What year? Remind me. 65. We got a call from this guy saying about Charlotte. The only thing I'd ever heard of in North Carolina was Chapel Hill. A typical <laughs> Yankee type, you know, mid or whatever, or Midwesterner is what I am. You're contemplating a move to New York because you've got this fun new job and uh, you've kept in touch with these brokers. And, and you've told them the kind of station yeah. you're interested in. And they told you about W what? A-Y-S. Which became Big Ways. Correct. And at the time, did they call it Big Ways then? No. Okay. And no. what did they tell you about this W-A-Y-S? And where was it on the dial? 610. Oh, that's right. So Big Ways. And what did he tell you about it? This guy was a friend and he'd heard it from a broker. So I came down here, kind of marched around the town and talked to, the newspaper was then owned by the Knights. Charlotte Observer. Correct. Was the news still around, Charlotte News? Oh yeah. Okay. Both of them were owned by the Knights. Well, one of the things that well, I have to ask made him. us decide to go into some news. The news, along with rock and roll, was the fact that it was an election time here, and a guy by the name of Fred Alexander mm -hmm. was running for city council, and it was the first time since Reconstruction that a black man and... BT had, run, had run or that he might actually get elected had run. had run. First time that a black man had even run since Reconstruction. I believe that's correct. I'm not positive. Okay. But certainly I, he I, was a high, high contender. And I, it was, they knew that he had a very good chance of winning. I have to ask a rude and, question before that. What? How much did the station cost? Five ninety. Five hundred and ninety thousand dollars. Yeah. And 
how much of that did y'all have to turn to the bank? Uh, a lot of it. The, most of it? Yes. I'm sorry. And no, so and Fred so, Alexander was running and you decided this is an actual news story and so we need to do... And BT, though no, and BT cut away from covering the election uh -huh. to religion. What are you saying? They didn't cover the election. They didn't cover Alexander? They didn't cover the election, period. It was a city council election. I, I want to make yeah. absolutely sure what I'm understanding you're saying. You did not see this primarily, or did you, as a business opportunity of an underserved part of the marketplace, that being local news, or yeah. did you see it yeah. primarily as a public service or both? I probably initially as a business opportunity. Right, because this is an underserved. Right. Religion is covered. News is not being. We'll go well, into I'm news. Well, I'm not saying they didn't do news. You're, I get you. I, you're, you're misunderstanding this a little bit. What I'm saying is that they did news when the news was scheduled to be done. Right. But if you didn't feel like an election of this magnitude was of great import, then you're missing the boat kind of thing. I get you. And you did. So you, yeah. you guys took over and you said, we're going to cover the local election. Right. And did. And did. And... What I know it for is rock and roll. Right. So what was their programming before Big Ways went to rock and roll? It was a kind of a half-assed rock and roll. But What's not, the difference was, in half-assed no, rock and was, roll? And well, it wasn't, it wasn't big well ass rock and roll. It wasn't well programmed, <laughs> number one, at no, all. No, I mean, give me, a, give me a disc, give me a 45 that would spin at the old station and one that would spin at the new ways. Well, there was no, it was programmed out of somewhere else that he had another station. I understand, but tell and, me, tell me, tell me who you guys would play. Well, first of Charlotte all- Charlotte had not heard. We were the first non-black station to play R&B. Oh, so you play Motown. Oh, yeah. So give me an artist. Who's somebody you'd play that Charlotte would not have heard on the radio? No, Charlotte could have heard that on the radio on one of the black stations. Okay. If you're, uh, when you're talking about that. I we played a little harder rock and roll, I guess, than the previous format. Yeah. But And you began marketing it that way, too. And I'm really curious about music because... There are people in this town who cut their teeth on rock and roll because of big ways that would not have had that. It had a tremendous cultural influence for the local market. It did. Yeah, I think so. And what um, people have a hard time even thinking about is FM was not that much of a factor, was it? It, it wasn't a factor at all. Back over there. And how many thousand times. watts were you? AM? Five. 5,000. It was covered a lot more than you, than think. you think. I mean, no, our signal was great. That was one of the things of the due diligence. I get you. As to was the signal... What's your footprint? Well, 
what's your footprint? But, you know, our signal was matched the development. And my word. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, that's why you are who you are and I am who I am is because. You know, you knew that the the pathway of development that you had your signal strength had to be within right. where the population is going to be, not where you, they are now. Well, both word it was now. Yeah, too. but where's where where are people um, building the, houses? Where are they gonna the, be able to listen and, to the radio? And the you know, BT signal, mm. which is everybody's, you know, in the business they because they've got so many watts. Night, you can't hear it in Gastonia. Did you all have ratings? Arbitrons. What happened to your numbers before Big Ways was Big Ways, before you all owned it, and after you changed the format? What happened to your numbers? Well, our numbers went right through the roof from a rating point of view. 18 to 35 was the largest hunk of our audience. Yeah, still is. Well, it's still the most important demographic, 18 to 35 female. However, the the problem comes in this day and age when you focus exclusively on that demographic. But I I, I get you had... Well, we didn't focus exclusively on it. And one of the things that did give us older was the news coverage. Would some people tune in just for the news? I can't stand that, those kids and that noise. But they cover city council. Yeah, I would probably, there were. Yeah. But the numbers, you know, it was more by the hour than by the news segment. Yeah. Was how the uh, numbers broke out. So how many radio stations did you all own at, at one time? What was the most? Three. Three. Was it always a family corporation, family health corporation? Yes. So you all never were publicly traded or anything else? What is the net effect of the fact that Stan and Sis live down the street, their kids go to public schools, you can walk up to them and say, I didn't like that news story or I think you're a liberal or whatever. What's the net effect of the fact that your kids go to Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools as opposed to the kids of the executives and any of the other owners in town other than one? What's the net effect of your programming by living in the community that you serve and what is lost when that goes away, when there are no longer local owners? Well, I think you lose market knowledge and as a consequence, service to the market. And uh, then the what additional are the voters? factor... What are the are, voters, the taxpayers, what do they lose? Well, they lose information. But if you're talking about today... Yes. The computer, the this... Where do you I, get your I, news and information? I do subscribe to the local paper, such as it is now. And I do love Larry Sprinkle. Your weatherman. He is. Um, What's not to love? <laughs> right, and he's a dear friend. Yeah. I used to go visit him at the hospital. Yeah. All the time when he was there. Yeah. But yes, he's a he. He's an exceptional human being. 
I'll say. He really, really is. I mean, I mean, he's got to be at the top in the broadcast world. Yeah. In a world of plastic people, he's, he's totally a human, real a human being. Stan was a hell of a guy. He was. But you're not the plus one. I mean, it seems like that you had, that you were a team of equals. Yeah, there's no question about that because we, I mean, that was the deal. We, Did y'all fight? A lot. What would you fight over? Ideas and... Like what? Where, where was he and where were you that you kept going back to this kind of fundamental... I don't know. It depended on the subject matter. I mean, it, our agreement in terms of the radio world was that no major decisions could be made if either one of us was opposed. Wow. So somebody had to be moved. Yeah. Who generally moved? Depended on the subject matter. So it was, a little, it was yeah. a little give and take. Right. So he could be persuaded. His major attribute was sales, mm. and any great salesman can be sold easily. How? Because they want to buy whatever it is, because if they don't like how you're selling it, they'll tell you how to sell it and then buy it. So it's either better or cheaper or... It's no, not... I mean, it, it could be any combination. Yeah. yeah. Also, he was a, a colorful character. Yeah. And did you ever have meetings in which people would keep looking at him? They wouldn't look at you? Oh, my God. When I first got here, I remember going to one meeting and they said, well, when is somebody going to come that can make a decision? <laughs> And you said, you may be waiting a really long time <laughs> or, you know, you better decide it's okay that I can. You know, I mean, it was, there was lots of, with all due respect to Charlotte, well, it wasn't a big city and it also, the position of women in the workforce was far behind what it was in Chicago or New York. I mean, it was... It, and so how did you come to explain to people, you're looking at the co-owner, you're looking at the woman in charge? Yeah. I mean, by just saying it. I mean... And did they get that? No. But there were some people that were so chauvinistic that I, it would have been stupid of me to deal with them. Mm. So somebody else that was male did. You pick your fights where they're meaningful. And I, you know, was in, heavily involved in a lot of community stuff too, which to, was, to, I mean, there's funnier stories about that than, <laughs> you know, than anything else because the radio station, I mean, everybody, there wasn't any problems there in terms of male, female, hiring, whatever. Had Stan been sick, you didn't expect him to die, right? Stan was diagnosed 
and gone within two, about three months, two and a half months. So you really didn't have a chance to sort of like process that before he was gone? No, it was very, very sudden, and very quick. What did that mean for you? The fact that I'd been very independent all my life made it a little easier. Mm. And I have family here. My daughter yeah. lives here. But she wasn't, I mean, she was just coming here then. What's the future of audio? In terms of 50 years radio, from 50 years from now, will people be listening to? The radio? I mean, I have, I have such difficulty with not radio, whether it survives or not, because radio for the last few years has not been a major informational factor. I'm just worried because the information that you get online can either be good information or bad information in equal amounts almost, or probably more bad by far. And I'm not sure that the young people are able to discern or try to discern. Well, whose job is that? To give them a little bit of skepticism, but not so much that it's cynicism. I think that's probably family, initially. School? Yes, definitely school. I mean, and that's a whole other subject. You Having been heavily involved in the whole desegregation of mm -hmm. this city, heavily involved. And to see that we're totally segregated again is very sad. It's dismaying. I think a lot of people's job, but it's not going to be, radio's not going to be the answer to it, I don't think. Podcasts, audiobooks? Uh... Who, you know, I wish I was smart enough to project way out in the future. Can I, I look at what my grandkids do and how do they, they, do they, what do they, how, how do they, do they get their How old are they? 18 and 21. Do they get their face out of the phone? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we have, we communicate well. Good. And often. Both of one of them doesn't live here now. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, the young one is much more politic. the younger one is much more politically interested and involved than the older one is. And it's, uh, I'm not sure, I guess it has to do with personality more than anything else. But she's, I mean, she couldn't wait to register to vote. And Can I just say, as a long time, like, listener to NPR and also, you know, now a yeah. wide variety of podcasts, audio, not radio, not podcasts, not streaming, not satellite, audio to me, is just, it's a love, it's a delight. And it's a very stable medium because we will always, even when we get our flying cars, sis, we will always need to sit in those cars and have a little bit of downtime. Yeah, I think that's a good point. If you and I were to sit here over the course of 90 minutes and be on camera, I think, 
people might tune out faster than the what ability. What makes to, you think they won't tune out anyway? Because I'm going to cut. I'm going to cut the <laughs> shit out of this. Is that what? That's why I'm going to cut it down to about twelve seconds. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and it. I hope you're correct. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, and from your mouth to the uh, ears of yeah. every octogenarian there is out there, because they have time, and you know, it, it engages your mind. It engages you in any number of ways. Yeah. You're part of yeah. a conversation, which is what we need more of. God bless you. Uh, thank you for what you have done. Don't take that off. Before I thank you for thank you for what you have done for Charlotte. Thank you for what you have done for radio. Thank you. I don't see nearly enough of Sis Kaplan. I have friends who are dear friends with her, and um, I, I would like to because she's just a lively conversationalist and very bright, very bright. I thought a very bright businesswoman and a, a pioneer in the broadcasting business and glad to capture her voice on podcasting. And that was, you know, four years ago. Think about how much has happened in four years in terms of um, disturbing trends in anti-Semitism and anti-democratic values. So, uh, you know, we still hope and pray. Thank you, sis. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported manlistening.com, In Her Words, the podcast, and now voicelocket.com. I appreciate you. I, I value your friendship and your support more than you know. Thanks. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much. <laughs>